people are like, man, you got a really cool lifestyle. I wish I could live your life, but I just can't. I've got kids. And I'm like, well, you can take that two ways. You can say, I can't do it because I have kids or I need to do it because I have kids. For me, it was, I want my kids to have that international experience. I want them to have exposure to other languages, other cultures, other people, travel. You know, to me, travel and visiting the world and just getting out of your comfort zone, it's the biggest education you, you can ever have. You'll learn more in a year worth of backpacking around Europe than you will in 12 years of university. Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back to Founders Journey Podcast. Uh, this is going to be a super fun one today, uh, Peter, with uh, with our guest here who we'll introduce in one second. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited because uh, we we actually, one of our uh, guests is a nomadic entrepreneur and he shared some of what he's doing and he's always in new places and we're always jealous. The trade, that's like, right. Well, Bobby's, so that was yeah. Max Walker you're talking about. This is, yeah. this is Bobby Casey, who's our, uh, who's our guest today. That's actually going to talk to us about how to do that, why that's important. So Bobby Casey's our guest, uh, managing partner of global wealth protection. So he helps companies or clients around the world really internationalize their assets, take advantage of investment opportunities, a lifelong entrepreneur, investor, student. He's, uh, and he's a big believer as you are going to hear today around privacy and freedom and uh, and things like that. So this is going to be a really interesting podcast today. With uh, I've known Bobby for going back a couple decades now. We were trying to think about it before we started recording. So Bobby Casey, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. All right, Greg, Peter, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, this is uh, this is going to be fun. So today you're actually coming from North Carolina, but I mean, at any given day, I've been. Know Bobby for a while. I, I follow Bobby's uh, newsletter, which we'll plug at the end. If you aren't following it, you really should be and following him on social media and stuff like that as well. He has lived all over the world, routinely lives all over the world. And we're talking about nomadic entrepreneurship today. There's no better example than uh, than than Bobby of this. So, Bobby, let's get it started like this. I mean, what, what really got you started down this path of you know, kind of, I mean, we're calling it nomadic entrepreneurship, but it's way more than that. So, I mean, what really got you down this path of like really kind of this sort of freedom mindset for entrepreneurs? Well, freedom mindset. I mean, I would, I would have to say that was like since childhood, you know, like I, I despised from the earliest ages of my childhood, I despised any type of restrictions, any type of authority figures. Like I just don't basically don't tell me what to do, you know? And as a child, like super rebellious as a kid, as I'm sure my, my parents and siblings would probably uh, attest to, but just despised, <laughs> just absolutely despised any type of authority. I, I went down that path even deeper and deeper. And I, I mean, you, you know, the, you know, the term confirmation bias, right? Like I, so yeah, deeply, sure. I felt passionate about uh, freedom and liberty and all those things. And so confirmation bias can work in the negative sense and the positive sense. So I look for ways to confirm my bias of liberty, right? I'm constantly yep. looking for validation on Liberty, like why I should not uh, care about central authority and that sort of thing. And so just, you know, like I, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family. My grandpa uh, with an uncle used to own a chain of restaurants. So very entrepreneurial. My dad owned the construction and property development business, very entrepreneurial. And my dad was also uh, an accountant by trade. He was yep. um, not a CPA, but just like bookkeeper accountant by trade. And right. and then he was the CFO of a construction company when I was a small and a partner. And when I was a small kid, he sold out and started his own company, his own construction company. And as a kid, I, I remember literally like 12 years old sitting around the dinner table talking about like company structure and tax planning. And my right. dad's kind of like, you know, uh, 
fuck these taxes and this is stupid. Don't, you know, like I remember as a kid, like hearing this and that stuff kind of burns in your brain. Right. Yeah. And my dad's like, uh, you know, if I only had more money and I could hire more people or I could grow the business and that sort of thing. And it's stuck in my head, but I knew how to file tax returns when I was like 16. You know, I started trading stocks when I was 14. Um, because for me having my own, revenue streams, my own source of income was so critical to my freedom, my independence. And I just had a call with a client before we got on here and we were talking about kids and stuff. And she asked me a little bit about my background. And I I remember when I was 18 uh, or when I was like 17, a month before my 18th birthday, I was already shopping for apartments. I was waiting like the day after I turned 18, I was already out looking at apartments. Like I was ready to go the moment I turned 18, um, you know, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, she did the exact same thing. We were living in Europe and the day she turned 18, she was like, dad, I'm moving out. I'm like, cool. When next week? Cool. Where are you moving to London? I'm like, awesome. You know, like the same, it's the same mindset. Like I just yeah, don't, don't restrict me. I can't stand it. And, um, I sold a company, uh, back in. 2000, I, you know, time fades, right? So 2007 or eight or something like that, I sold a company and it was, I had an office with a bunch of employees, but even then it was to the point, like I had an office in my house and I traveled a lot for work and it was even a joke in my office. I had like 20 employees in my office and it was a joke that if I showed up to work, my receptionist would be like, Hi, how can I help you? Who are you here to see today? And I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, why are you fucking, you fucking with me? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I own the building, Jessica. I own the building, Jessica. You know, like, um, and it was, you know, I just, my dad would call me up. My dad for a little while was my CFO. My dad called me up. Hey, you going to work today? I'm like, dad, I've been working since six. Okay. I just don't come to the office. And, and then just kind of the international thing became kind of an extension of that. I wanted, instead of like, I just kind of expanded my freedom base. Let's say mm-hmm. I wanted the ability to be free and live and work and transact and, you know, do business all over the world. And around 2009, I just, I moved to Eastern Europe on a whim, never I moved to Estonia, never even visited Estonia. We just moved on a whim. Um, and people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Why would you do that? You're ruining your kids' lives. You're ruining their education. You know, your kids are going to hate you and stuff like that. Even today, I hear it all the time. Like I talk to people, speak at conferences and stuff like that. And people are like, man, you got a really cool lifestyle. I wish I could live your life, but I just can't. I've got kids. And I'm like, well, you can take that two ways. You can say, I can't do it because I have kids or I need to do it because I have kids. For me, That's right. it was, I want my kids to have that international experience. I want them to have exposure to other languages, other cultures, other people, travel. You know, To me, travel and visiting the world and just getting out of your comfort zone is the, I mean, it's the biggest education you, you can never have. You'll learn more in a year worth of backpacking around Europe than you will in 12 years of university. Yeah. Like no, um, no question. Crazy. No question. So, so you go down this path, right, Bob? I mean, you, you kind of, and I remember, you know, when you made that transition and you go down that, you go down this path, your family, you move your family over to Estonia and then, <clears throat> excuse me, that really becomes the impetus for what you started to build that global wealth protection, right? I mean, that that kind of, that the, it was the lifestyle move that came first, then the business came after that as an extension almost of the lifestyle. Do I, am I sort of saying that correctly? The business existed in 2001. So I, I had a, I had like four companies at the time. I had my insulation company, I owned a restaurant, I had a real estate development company, and then I started doing the uh, like asset protection consulting for clients. And so Global mm-hmm. Wealth Protection started as m- more just about asset protection and privacy. Right. And then like, like every other business, right? We evolve, we add products, features, functions, services. We kind of, you go down the path of what your clients want. And 
the clients you like, right? And, and I had um, so I had started doing that around 2001. Yeah, around 2001, I had a bunch of different businesses or a few, a couple of different businesses, let's say. And I'm starting to accumulate some assets and that sort of thing. And I started getting a little nervous or concerned for myself. What if I get sued? What if this happens? What if this happens? So maybe I should do something. So I actually went out and hired somebody like me to help me kind of put put the pieces together and uh, develop an asset protection strategy for myself. And... We got to be really good friends. The guy's name is Bob, lives out in California. And uh, Bob and I got to be really good friends. He's a bit older than me, probably 20, eh, even more, maybe 25 years older than me. And I really enjoyed that process of working with him. And basically all of my clients or all my friends were entrepreneurs. I don't, I didn't have friends with jobs. Like I just, I didn't, I mean, not like, if I had friends with jobs, they were like, um, you know, like traveling sales people or right. something like that. They, they were not eight to five kind of people. Right. I just didn't have eight to five friends because, you know, hey, you get, hey, Greg, you want to go ride motorcycles on Thursday afternoon? You know, eight to fivers can't go ride motorcycles on Thursday right. afternoon, right? Yep. Or how about let's go this, let's let's jump on a plane and go skiing in Colorado. What's can, are you free tomorrow morning? Like yep. eight to fibers can't, can't do stuff like that. So all my friends were entrepreneurs and I went to Bob, my let's, let's call him my mentor at this point. I went to Bob and said, Hey, I got a bunch of friends that are all entrepreneurs. How about we go to them and I'll help develop their, their strategy and you can kind of back me up. And that's kind of how global wealth protection started. But to your point, the international thing kind of started really when I started traveling pretty heavily in the mid 2000s, which led me to moving abroad in 2009. So that was kind of where the, that international focus of global wealth protection kind yeah. of evolved from. So I want to take this into the why, because I mean, you're the thing that comes through following Bobby, knowing his writing and stuff. I mean, you can agree or disagree. And there are going to be a lot of people who are going to mostly disagree. <laughs> We're going to be like, what in the hell is this guy? It's a, it's an incredible, it, there's an incredible line of thinking behind this, whether you agree or disagree. So I want to start to go down that a little bit. It, you write a lot about the limitations that are put on entrepreneurs by governments, right? Whether that's U.S. or other countries. Can you talk about that a little bit? Why that is such a topic that one is so important for founders to understand, but it's also something that you're so passionate about beyond, beyond the fact that we know you're, you're definitively not a rule follower, but beside that part. Fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a very valid, valid point. Um, yeah, I am hard, I am hardcore and not a rule follower. So it's funny, just a little bit of a sidebar. I had this conversation with my 16 year old son literally yesterday and he, this again, I know this is a weird sidebar, but he recently broke up with his girlfriend and one of the reasons he broke up with his girlfriend was because she's a rule follower. She is, <laughs> she is the mind. She is the, I want to get straight A's in high school so that I get into the good college so that I get the right. good, you know, the good corporate job that I can work my way up the ladder in my twenties and have that corporate life. And he broke, they broke up because he's like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't deal with that. You know, Bobby, at some point during that conversation where the two of them broke up, it came up like, have you ever met my father? Ben? Yeah. <laughs> she, knows, she knows me. You know, you know yeah. she knows me. I've met her plenty of times. But, you know, like the whole thing, I'm thinking, you broke up with your girlfriend because she's a rule follower. I mean, that was kind of the essence of it, that he also has this, like, strong urge for freedom. Obviously, right. a lot of that is my influence, but it's, you know, it's his own thing, too. He's his own person. Sure. But a lot of it is my influence. And I'm, and he tells me, like, like he's a, he's a pretty good student. I mean, he's not like a like straight A, AP classes kind of student. He's a pretty good student. And I'm more like, what are you doing after, like, you're going to go to college? And he goes, oh, absolutely not. I'm like, why not? And he goes, I do not want that kind of restriction. So he's literally, like, for the past few months and going forward, 
he takes he takes online uh, marketing courses like email marketing, um, okay. SEO courses. I've got a friend of mine who's like one of these. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's like one of these marketing guru guys you see all over the internet. Okay. And basically, you know, my son knows him. They're they're friends, and they have a group chat together. And he just gives him all of his own courses, and he takes all these like super high level market. My son is full on going to be an entrepreneur for the same yep. reason because he hates that authority that tells him what you have to do and the path you have to take. And so you asked me kind of, I, I guess this is a little bit of a philosophical question. Like why, like um, what's his name? I'm sure you know him, Simon Sinek. Uh, what, yeah, what's sure. your why kind of thing. Yep. So for me, my why is I am really, really passionate about entrepreneurship. Just mm -hmm. the, the general concept. And I know that seems kind of cliche, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We all like entrepreneurs, blah, blah, blah. Right. I'm super passionate about entrepreneurship, but um, I really believe entrepreneurs and the investors that support entrepreneurs um, which oftentimes are just entrepreneurs that sold their right. businesses. But um, <laughs> yep. I'm really passionate about entrepreneurship. And I really think entrepreneurs are the economic driver of the world, period. Okay. They hiring people, they, they provide jobs. Entrepreneurs are on the forefront of technology with technological advancements. They are... Mm -hmm. um, out there making lives better for people, constantly improving their products and services. Like an entrepreneur's mindset is constant improvement, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever met an entrepreneur that thought, my business is good enough? Like, <laughs> at least I've right. never met a good one, let's say, yeah. right? Well, I mean, if they are, like they're that. off doing something. Maybe their business is like that, but they're off building something else at that point, right? It's, it's... Sure, maybe they got a yeah. plumbing business that is kind of Peaked right. out. But then what are they probably thinking if they own this boring plumbing business? We should open another branch in that next town over. Right. right? right. Or we should open another branch over here, right? So entrepreneurs are constantly thinking about how to improve the product, how to improve their service, how to be more efficient. It's all about improvement, improvement, improvement. And to me, the, or the more money that entrepreneurs get to keep in their pocket, the better the world gets in general. Okay. The flip side that that is the worst allocator of capital on the face of the planet in the history of humanity, bar none, is government. The absolute worst allocator of capital that has ever existed, ever in the history of humanity, is government. There is no more wasteful organization on the planet than a government organization. And you can say, well, no, I'm Swedish. My government's really good. No, it's not. It might be better than another government, but it's still terrible fundamentally. Um, and so it, in, in my view, what I try to do through uh, helping people internationalize their business with proper company structure, tax optimization, and asset protection planning is I try to help that entrepreneur keep as much money in their pocket that they, through their own efforts, have produced. Because, I mean, Greg, I might think you're a great guy and I want you to keep as much of your own money in your pocket as you possibly can. And, you know, maybe I do that because I like you, but my why is not because I like you. My why is because you make the world a better place in your small way. And if enough of us in our small way, make the world a better place, the world in generally gets better. And that driver of growth and improvement happens at the entrepreneur level. It does not happen at the government level. Hands down, yeah. it does not happen at the government level. Now, of course, I'm pragmatic. You know, I don't want you in an orange jumpsuit, so that doesn't help that doesn't help you or anybody else. So we have to, you know, kind of follow the guidelines and, and find the right loopholes. And right. you know, sometimes I jokingly call myself like chief loophole finder. Um, <laughs> but but I mean that's actually my why. So you asked me kind of why I went so, down that yeah. path. That's exactly it. So, Bobby, I had a following question to that. And so you, your fundamental, like I've, I've shared some of that belief myself, right? And so what I know about Greg, and we'll use him as the subject, is if he has the money, 
he's not going to keep the money. Greg doesn't pie. He doesn't stack cash. Like he's not trying to, he, he ha- can't help himself so much that he's going <laughs> to redeploy somewhere else. And he's, it's not like Absolutely. it's going to stay in right. his pocket because he's going to go, well, it's, now I can do this and this, all those things that he was trying not to do to control himself, to get to where he had some positive outcome. And then that would be my argument, but other people like have argued with me to say, Hey, um, yeah, but then they, they have all the cash and they have all the money and they're not going to use it and they're going to keep it. What do you, what do you say to that? I mean, cause your why is supporting an optimistic approach, which I agree with of an entrepreneur that they just can't help themselves. They, they're going to keep going and doing stuff and redeploying and redistributing and putting and becoming the investor, right? Enabling the next one and doing that. What, what do you think about that? Filters or no filters? Nah, no <laughs> filters, man. Go. No, I just want to hear what you say. I'm really interested. Yeah. So the answer to that is if I understand your question correctly, Peter, is yeah. the argument is Greg's just going to keep getting richer and richer and have more and more money. And he's just sitting on this hoard of cash like Scrooge McDuck from the cartoons, right? That's the, <laughs> the counter to what I know about Greg. Right. 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 Yeah. And so my answer to that counter is you're fucking stupid. Like that is the stupidest fucking thing I have ever fucking heard in my entire life. That is idiotic that a growth minded driven entrepreneur is going to sit on a pile of fucking gold coins like Scrooge McDuck from the cartoons. That's idiotic. You hear this argument like, Elon Musk has a hundred billion dollars. What will he ever do? He can never spend a hundred billion dollars. That is the dumbest thing anybody can say. Honestly, is Elon Musk like going out buying Lamborghinis every five minutes? Because he literally would have to buy a Lamborghini like every five minutes to come anywhere remotely close to spending his money. Is that what he does? No, he is a driven no, again, you can agree or disagree with Elon yeah. Musk, whatever, but he is a driven, brilliant mind who has changed the world, period, right? Yep. I mean, um, you could use Bill and, Gates, too. I mean, Bill Gates is the same guy. He's stacked, like, yep. he had so much money, and he was successful, you know? But he's not stacking cash. Bill Gates no, right. is not stacking no. cash. He's not, not sitting close. on a pile right. of gold. He's got... Um, his his uh, foundation, the Bill and yeah. Melinda Gates Foundation, where they are, yeah. you know, you can argue with what they do with that money, right? But he's doing something with it, and that money does filter out. It's like I don't – like I'm sure Greg doesn't have a $12 million Bank of America checking account balance, right? You know, he's probably <laughs> – no. like most entrepreneurs, he's probably got like a $700 it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of what an entrepreneur is right i mean that's that's the thing because the funny part about peter what you were saying is like you can't entrepreneur like can't true stop them serial entrepreneurs you can't it's stop yourself right well it's yeah. like it's the heroin right it's like more, <laughs> yeah, money it's just means more, more heroin except i'm not injecting it you know me or anybody else right we're not injecting it into our veins we're actually injecting it into other companies, other, other ideas, other things, right? So whether you're, whether you're me or you're anybody else, it, it, you're, yeah. you're constantly just redeploying, redeploying because that, because entrepreneurship is a personality, right? It's a, yeah. it's a personality set. It's not an occupation, you know? And I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding. So that kind of response that you're talking about, Peter, actually like, it actually answers the question in itself. The Mm -hmm. entrepreneur actually doesn't sit on the cash, right? Like Greg said, the entrepreneur grows the business, hires more people, hires a couple of uh, developers, hires like some software developers to make his product better, make his service better. He hires some employees, gives them more jobs, grows the business. And even the entrepreneurs that say, you know what? Screw this. I want to plateau and just make some cash for a while. Yeah. Guess what he does? He's the guy that goes out and buys the cars and the houses. Yeah. And now he's consuming. And on the flip side, he's consuming, which 
also injects money back into the economy. Yeah. Entrepreneurs do not sit on cash. Entrepreneurs invest uh, it or spend it. Period. And they spend it like yeah. crazy. I, like bet Elon, I bet Elon Musk probably has like $700 in his Bank of America checking right. account. Like, he probably has no, if you read his biography, I don't it know if you guys like read this. his biography. Yeah. But yeah, if you read his no. biography, like when he, when he sold out PayPal or he sold yeah. out his interest in, um, what was it? X, right? X.com. Yeah. When he sold out his interest, he was basically living on people's couches because he didn't have enough cash to even like yeah. pay for his own house. Yeah, and that people were paper, thinking that was when he exited PayPal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and he had like a billion dollars, right? But he he didn't right. have a billion dollars in cash. He had a billion dollars redeployed immediately into different different ventures. Right. So the mindset that entrepreneurs just sit around and hoard is idiotic because actually, what they continue to do is to grow the economy and make the world a better place. The more they make, the the better the world gets. Yep. And yeah, I think that's, that's, that's it's so it's such a huge concept, too, Bobby. I mean, look, I'm 100 percent with you on this. Right. And it's such a huge concept, especially in other parts of the world, right, where you really see the dramatic Im impact that entrepreneurship has. I mean, the most effed up countries where it's just like the governments are just so <clears throat> corrupt and so horrid, and so authoritarian and all this stuff. But you look at the impact that entrepreneurship has in those economies on lifting people out of that. I mean, it's the ultimate kind of revolutionary act, right? And I think that's that's where you really start to see the power of this. You don't want to glorify. Look at Argentina. Look right. at Argentina. Great. Great. Uh, yeah. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing his name right. The Malay, Malay, or yeah. Um, Something like that. I'm not, uh, probably yeah. not pronouncing it right. But then you, I don't know if you saw this, but they just announced he deregulated the housing market because in Argentina they had um, uh, like rent caps and th th all this stuff in the housing market. He deregulated it immediately. Like as soon as he, that was one of the first things he did is deregulated it, got the government out of the way of the housing yeah. market. Mm -hmm. And within his first couple months in office, housing prices are down 20%. You've got all this new investment into construction now happening just by getting government out of the way and allowing entrepreneurs to do what they do best and yeah. investors, entrepreneurs and investors kind of, you know, kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Um, to your point, come on, you, give me, you, you can do better value. than this, Peter, though. Give me, give me a big, give me a big pushback on, on why I believe entrepreneurs. So come on, give me so at least like the, the what so my roads argument, the, at least give me the, the my roads argument. Well, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to agree with you a little bit, but the, definitely um, the economic value of growth has a big impact. And, and we had um, we've had other people talk about that. And in third world countries, <clears throat> if you're giving money to them, it doesn't create as much value as creating some way to get repeatable economic value and something that is profitable can create more change by having something that's sustainable through this profit-driven model, right? And so, again, there's people that say, you know, they're going to not treat other people right. They're going to only be, you know, focused on growing cash and money. So, like, how do you talk, like, what is your answer to that? So, if someone said, hey, listen, Yes, but along the way, it's at some of some other person's cost. Like, what about the people? Because we create the corporation, and then it becomes the rule following, right? How, how do you how do you rationalize that? I'm not, I'm not sure. I fully understand your question. Yeah. I get it. Let me. It, so that the argument, the other argument is, well, if I'm understanding you correctly, if yeah. you don't have controls in place on the entrepreneur, right. the entrepreneur will just take advantage of the little guy. Correct. Yes. The entrepreneur, the argument would be, I don't agree with this argument, but the argument would be the entrepreneur creates the corporation, the create the right. corporation that creates, and then creates that. The, the creates the limitation, right? Right. And, you know, so you're sort of setting up this system of entrepreneur yeah. sort of at the top of this world setting. They become the man, limited, right? So, right? So to speak. Right. And, and then there's that, right. there's, there's that argument, right? And so we create a process and system and then we leave it behind. You sell and leave, right? 
but that becomes then infrastructure that potentially could be exploiting maybe the small the, the small guy or, or someone that's not the entrepreneur so the exploitation this is a, a little bit of a touchy subject but in in reality the exploitation well let, let me just rewind for a second yeah. let me let me answer my, my first the the question or kind of my idea first so yeah. your first idea was if the the entrepreneur kind of gets to the corporation he's the ceo it's a big company and and then we need kind of we need some controls over that guy or that group of guys to not exploit the other people right right so first of all my argument to that is um there are assholes everywhere and yeah, you're going to have exploitation everywhere. You cannot, you cannot regulate out human nature. It's not going to happen. If, if you're an asshole, I can't make a law that says, ah, Peter, you're not an asshole anymore, right? I can't make you not an asshole by passing a law or putting a regulation in place that makes you not an asshole. You're going to figure out how to exploit people. You don't care what the regulations say. A speed limit on a highway is a perfect example. It's there. There's a rule that says you can only drive 65 miles an hour. If you've ever been to Charlotte or Atlanta, where yeah. everyone thinks they're the next NASCAR driver. Um, yeah. 60, 65 is, that's not even the minimum. Like 75 like is the minimum. <laughs> yeah, 65 would be dangerous to drive through Charlotte or Atlanta at 65 miles an hour. But the rule is there, the law is there, and people still do it because they can. And you yeah. can't, what are you going to do? Put a, a police car for every person out there but, to monitor it? And yeah, so you can't. I, I like that. That's good. Absolutely. You can't stop. You can't stop people from taking advantage of other people. Yeah. And to take and, that kind of a level above that, the government that would implement these rules and regulations to prevent the entrepreneur from taking advantage of other people is ultimately the one taking advantage of other people. Right. They are, they have, they're just the big asshole and they wrote the rules that work for themselves. Right. I mean, there's no, or they work for the asshole that gave him the money to be there. Right. That's, that's well, it. I mean, like, like, for example, you know, in, insider trading, like yeah, if, it, uh, if someone in Congress, uh, you, I mean, this is kind of a silly example, not a silly example, really. It's, it's a real example. If somebody sits on uh, a budget committee or the defense budget committee mm -hmm. and knows they're about to sign a contract with Raytheon two weeks from now for $5 billion, and they say, well, I'm going to go buy a bunch of call options or go buy a bunch of Raytheon stock, because I can. Because in Congress, I can trade on insider information. I can do that, right? So you say, we don't want the entrepreneur to take advantage of people, but that's exactly what the government you know, people do. That is precisely what they do. So what we're trying, what I'm saying is you're going to have assholes everywhere, whether yeah. we have the government controls in place or not. Um, the difference is government controls cost money and we yeah. have as entrepreneurs pay tax. Basically we pay them to be assholes to us is another way of putting it. Um, it and all that does is throw sand in the wheels of progress because now we have less capital to go out and hire people and improve yeah. our products and services and that sort yeah, of thing. So, so I would argue your... that the world doesn't get perfect. The world's right. not going to be doesn't. perfect any way you look at it. Mm -hmm. Regulations doesn't make it perfect. It just means you have another set of assholes telling you what to do. Right. And so to your, to your point before, like you have everyone I've been there and been through Georgia too. And, we're all going 90 or 85, 90. And then, then there's someone going 120 and that maybe is the real asshole and hopefully he gets pulled over. Right. That... <laughs> He's the situational asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so to your point, so yeah. we, we, we call that like a buddy of mine. We go have coffee whenever I'm in town and we'll go to this like little coffee shop and there's, yeah. it's, you know, there's a lot of, younger attractive females around and we call that we always call when the new girl walks in we're like new situational 10 in place 
So the new girl comes in. She's the new situational 10. She's not really a 10. She's maybe a 7, but she happens to be the best-looking one in the room, so now she's the situational 10. So the guy going 120, you know, in the HOV lane in Atlanta on the 485, he's the situational asshole. And everyone going 90, who's already going 25 miles an hour of the speed limit, they're all normal, right? They're all the normal people. It's yeah. the situational asshole over there, the HOV lane going 120 that's screwing up. When, when you're dealing with this, I mean, what you're talking about, Bobby, is like the ultimate self-regulation, right? I mean, of course, it's, it's it's about pure responsibility for who we are and what we're creating. And I think that's the that's the thing. So when you see the extremes of it, those those extremes really stick out. I want to yeah. just like switch on the or stay on the geography thing, yeah. because a lot of what you're talking okay. about, a lot of what you write about is really helping understand, helping entrepreneurs understand the relative cost of living, taxation, freedom, things like that in certain areas. If you're advising an entrepreneur today, where where should they be thinking about geographically? And, you know, because you've been, you've, you've really kind of explored the outer boundaries of this. I mean, you know, with living kind of in, you know, around Eastern Europe and different areas. I mean, where, where do you, where do you think is that area that if you were starting today, you would say to an entrepreneur, go go build here? The, the idea is you really need to take a multi-jurisdictional approach. You, mm-hmm. There is no, there is no uh, utopia or, or, or single utopia or a single Shangri-La. Um, so first of all, from if you, are you talking about from a business standpoint or quality yeah. of life or kind of well, all of it together? All of, all of it together, all of it together. So from a business standpoint, you obviously want to target where the money is. Uh, I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. Um, and it depends on who your audience is. Like if, if I want to get into the solar panel business, you know, Alberta, Canada is probably not the best option, right? <laughs> well, let's let's assume for a second they're a digital entrepreneur, right? So they don't have to make yeah. a market in their geography. They can build wherever they – they can build globally. Um, I, yeah. I, so I, have, I have clients in the solar business that are location independent entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. There's, you can build almost any type of business virtually nowadays. Almost any, not every. Yeah. Like there's yeah. certain things. Like I can't have a virtual plumbing company, right? right. I mean, that's. I can't have a virtual restaurant. Yep. Those types of things, but anything that is, um, but like for example, using the solar business as an example i could build a virtual solar business and i outsource the contractors where i do the installs mm-hmm. right i don't have to be the one doing the hands-on install i can uh, build the platform and the processes and uh, the lead generation and all that stuff on the front end and outsource to the, mm-hmm. the the local contractor in arizona the local contractor in flagstaff the local contractor in Austin, Texas, that sort of thing. So you can build a lot of different types of businesses. Mm-hmm. I had a call earlier today with a friend of mine who owns a chain of restaurants and he never goes into them. He built them, he has management in place. Um, and he, he lives part of the year in Dubai, he lives part of the year in Portugal, he lives part of the year in the US um, and everything. He, his, his end of the business is all done remotely. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't you can't make chicken wings virtually, right? Like, you, I mean, you have to have hands on for that. So, yep. it depends on the nature of the business. So, if you're if you have the capacity in your business mm-hmm. where at least your function or the 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 management or the mind and management of the business that can be done virtually, that's step one. You've got to have that. That's got to be in place. I mean, that's a given. And I think that type of capacity um, to, to work virtually, especially globally, really, really kind of escalated around 2005 when Skype was created. Yep. Um, Skype opened up the world of communication for people. Because I remember going to like Moscow in 2006 or seven and came home with like a thousand dollar cell phone bill, you know, from mm-hmm. making a handful of calls at yeah. 10 bucks yep. a minute. And um but nowadays, if I went to Moscow, I mean, I would just have roaming data and I would just use Skype app or, or Google right. Voice app or whatever, right? And so a lot of people 
if you're in a small business, you can't afford a thousand dollar a month cell phone bill, but you can afford a twenty dollar a month uh, voice over internet phone, right? Yep. So Skype kind of got that started. COVID really kind of skyrocketed that because during COVID, what I, I wrote an article about this about how COVID was the best thing to happen to humanity. I, I literally got death threats for like three months after <laughs> making that article. No shit. I wrote an yeah. article about how COVID was the best thing to happen for humanity. And people, I don't even think they read the article. They just saw the headline and, you know. <laughs> you know, probably mailing me anthrax and pipe bombs. Luckily, you know, I'm really good about privacy and nobody actually knows where I live. Um, so I wrote that article because COVID kind of exposed the ability for even large companies to have their entire workforce work remotely. Okay. I mean, you got like even General Motors sent all their office staff on like what, 40 or 50,000 people now work right. remotely for one of the uh -huh. oldest like industrial stalwarts in the world. They're like, nope, but then the you 50,000 people go home, right? Yeah. And COVID was kind of like the trigger point that says we have to send you home because, you know, right. no one, you know, no one wants to get the fake flu, right? No one wants to get COVIDs. Sorry, I, I, I know I love pushing that button, but, you know, fuck it. Why not? Um, no one wants to get COVID. So they um, they sent everybody home. But then companies started being like, oh, that's kind of nice not paying rent, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, wait a second. People actually work better when they work from home. They're actually a bit more. Most people, if they like their jobs, they're good at their job, and they're engaged in their career, will be more productive at home. If they're just shitty people. They won't work at home, right? They just don't. But that also forces you to either be better at your job or lose your job too, right? It right. kind of forces improvement in the workforce. And basically, no, everyone has the capacity to work remotely. So if you, like all the technology tools are in place now that most businesses can either go completely remote or at least a big chunk of it, and a minimum, you can generally have upper management and mind and you know the mind and management of the business can be remote now so like like my buddy who owns a chain of restaurants he I, he probably hasn't seen a chicken wing fryer in months right he has no idea what it looks like right but he he can sit there and manage the business from his apartment in dubai so first and foremost make sure you have the the tech stack in place that you can uh, do everything remotely. And, you know, we don't need to list this out. Everyone knows all the tools mm -hmm. you can sure. do. If yep. you don't, like a Google search can find all that stuff. Um, and then beyond that, so going back to my original point, you need to, you need to know where you're going to make your money because a lot of that has to do maybe with the structure of the business. Like, for example, if you're, if you're on e-commerce in Europe, then we need to structure the company somewhere in the European Union because it makes it easier for you to import goods and get VAT yeah. registered and stuff Over. like that. If you're going to sell in North America, it's probably better to have a U.S. company. Um, you know, if you want to open a hotel in Mexico, there's some complicated structuring things you can do there. Um, so it kind of depends on the nature of the business. But if you're right. if you have that capacity to run remotely, then ultimately it comes down to your connection and your lifestyle on how you work like if your business let's say you've got um all your business happens in north america you have customer service that's got to work north american time zones okay great well it might be a little bit complicated if you go live in australia right 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 there you i go. mean you can do it but you've got to kind of flip your work schedule you know 12 hours around um, so you might think, I really want to be available during work hours and have a normal work schedule. Well, if that were you, then I would say kind of stick in the time zone, the North American time zones. Mexico is a great option. Costa Rica is a great option. Um, Colombia could be a good option. Argentina, I would say, is going to be a real up and coming uh, possibility. Like if I were looking, so, oh, you asked me, this is a good point. You asked me before, if I were looking now on something yep. I were going to be doing yep. going forward, I'd be looking hard at Argentina. Really interesting. So 
And so you it's know, a complete well, shit show in Argentina right now. It's a yeah. complete shit show right there, which means, and they have this new president, this new libertarian kind of ANCAP president in place. He's already making huge improvements. Like they're already seeing the numbers come in, these massive improvements, like the real estate thing. Now would be the time to start while it's still a shit show. Go down there, buy a house, buy an apartment, get right. set up, you know, kind of get your life established down there. Even if you only want to live there a couple of months a year, go get residency there. Start the, the process for naturalization of citizenship so you can get, you know, maybe an Argentine passport in a couple of years. That would be that right. would be a great place to look at right now. Well, Same, similar time zones. Now, but if you need to travel back for work, Okay, Buenos Aires is a insanely long flight from right. Buenos Aires to say, you know, Chicago or Houston yeah, or Atlanta yeah. or one of the big. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's longer. It's if you fly Charlotte, uh, let's say Chicago to Buenos Aires, that's a longer flight than like Chicago to Frankfurt. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's, it's a longer trip. So, but the point you're making there, Bobby, I think is a really important, right? Like I, I my daughter graduated with her MBA this year, right? And, and this is something we've actually talked about is like, you know, you don't have to limit yourself to the US, right? I mean, there's there's all this opportunity, but it, it, that's around the world. But I think what's interesting about what you're, what you're talking about is don't be afraid to, to go to the shit show currently that's on where the ascent is clear, right? Because you don't want to be the one kind of, you know, showing up in, I don't want to pick out any place in particular, but, you know, showing when up as the, kind of the, the last person to show up in the next hot, you know, or in the, in the last hot. Germany, you can hot. say it. It's Germany. Germany. <laughs> you, you can say it. It's Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, Germany would be like the last place on earth, I would think. That's where I'm going to go. They're overregulated. They, it's, they're overcontrolled, overregulated. They're overtaxed. And they have a major, major, major immigration issue. Yep. And they have a major demographic issue. Yep. Um, Japan, also, they don't have an immigration issue in Japan, but they have a huge demographic problem there. Yeah. Um, and you've got to look at immigration in, in general in particular countries. How can you immigrate? Like Europe, for example, if, if, if you don't have European ancestry um, or, you know, a, 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 an EU passport to immigrate to a European country as a non-EU national is not so easy. They like, you have right. to have a, a legitimate reason to be there. You have to have a job there with an invitation. You have to be a student or a teacher, or you marry a local, or you've invested some significant amount of money there. You, you have to have a legitimate reason. They intentionally restrict immigration in European countries because I don't believe this to be true, but their perception is that it's overpopulated and they don't want any more people. Right. Um, you take most of your Latin American countries, Mexico, for example, you only need to prove you've got money to immigrate to Mexico. That's literally it. You need mm -hmm. to right. have some decide. multiple of the Mexican minimum wage. Yep. Um, and so they're incentivizing people who make higher incomes and have higher net worths to move there. Well, think about that from a longer term, a 10 or a 20 year demographic shift. Do I want to go to a place that's restricting highly intelligent, well-paid, wealthy people from coming into the country? Or do I want to go to a place that's actually trying to attract me as a, a, a like a highly educated, well-paid, higher net worth individual? I'd rather go to in the direction of the flow, right? Yep. Where, so like so Mexico, people are like, oh my God, Mexico is so dangerous. Well, it's only dangerous if you watch the news. Like, it, yeah, yep. It's well, crazy. That, it is. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it is one of those things I think it, it, with, it, with any one of these countries, right? If, when you, <clears throat> if you watch the news, you start to, this is why traveling is so important, right? I mean, you watch the news, you start to get this concept of what's happening around the world and you go land in these places and suddenly you realize this is nothing. This is just like home. I was in Salvador, Brazil in January. No, sorry. In December, I was in Salvador, Brazil. And I think Salvador is listed as the fourth most dangerous city in the world. Um, I mean, if you look at like the top 20 most dangerous cities in the world, like 12 of them are in Brazil. Right. Um, and I was in Salvador, which I think is, I think on that list is like number four. Yeah. And it's a pretty big city, like 4 million people. And 
I like I didn't feel like right. any issues. I didn't like there was no problems whatsoever. I walked around at night. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a place I'd really want to live. I didn't like Salvador that much. It's not yeah. like an ideal place. But right. the perception is it's super dangerous. Now, maybe I got lucky. I stayed in the part of town that was safe. Um, I don't know. But, you know, also, if you're as a non-Brazilian person going to Brazil, I'm probably going to stay in the higher populated areas anyway, like the nicer parts of town, the, the touristy sections. Yeah. I would do that no matter what. Like I'm not. I go to Mexico City. I don't go to the bad part of town. Yeah, right. you Denver's... can't Denver. I would. I would take you downtown, and you're not. There's places we're not going to go together, right? I mean, it's just, you know, we're not going to go, and because it would be dumb. That's a right? pity and, too. Denver downtown used to be really nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. There's still there's still some really great parts of it, but um, yeah, but it is definitely uh, one of the drivers of of our sort of spending so much more time in Montana these days. So we're we're go we're coming up on time here, but. Uh, want to kind of start to start to wrap this up a little bit. Are, are sure. there are there drawbacks, Bobby, to this approach? Like, I mean, there's I, I like think the lifestyle. The lifestyle. I mean, because there's there's so much. Look, I I resonate so much with what you're talking about. One, you know, I mean, for a lot of different reasons, because of your sort of belief on you know what entrepreneurship and the freedom that it can still, but also that that you are not limited by borders. You are not limited. Like these these are self imposed limitations. But are there drawbacks for a I mean, for an entrepreneur? I don't want to call it drawbacks. So def you, you definitely make compromises on certain right? things. More I, I could tell you, but you're going to make trade-offs no matter what. You have yeah. to decide which trade-off do, do I value A or B. Which one is yeah. is is my preferred value? Um, and that's I can't really say are there drawbacks because I mean that's up to the individual and their own internal value systems. Like I can tell you, my lifestyle. I've been doing this for many years <clears throat> living in two, three, four countries a year. I mean, in the past year, I've probably been, I've probably traveled to, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so countries. Um, I've lived in, I mean, lived, lived, like actually lived like with a home base in three countries. Um, I've had three home live? bases now for a few years. What would you? I either, yeah. I either own the property or have a long-term lease okay. in the place. Like if I go, if I like go rent an apartment, like, like yeah. in Salvador, when I was in Salvador, I rented nope. a, an apartment, a nice apartment, but I rented on Airbnb. I didn't live right. in Salvador. Right. It was it was, it was a short term kind yeah. of Airbnb. But if I went to Salvador and got like a six month lease, or I went to Art Buenos Aires and got a six month lease, I consider that living there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I get residency, like if I actually immigrate there and and like legally immigrate there and become a legal resident there, that's definitely living there. I mean, in my lifetime, I have lived in, like, actually le legally immigrated, I don't know, 10, 12 countries at least. Yep. Um, but I've traveled to probably 80-ish yep. countries mm. in that ballpark. But I've lived, lived in, like, 10 or 12. Um, and I would say That's right weird. now, I live in three. Um, I have a long-term lease in my place in Mexico, and we're actually going to give that up this year because we want to slow down traveling, and we're going to go down to only two home bases in two countries. And what we'll probably end up doing, knowing us, we'll probably not have three home bases, but then we'll just end up traveling more and having yeah. <laughs> more like one-month trips. Yeah. 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 We'll end up going yeah. to like Argentina for a month with an Airbnb, which I wouldn't consider that living there because yeah. I'm in a short-term apartment for one month. Um, right. We'll do stuff like that, most likely. Um, but as far as quality of life, I love it. I, I, I have a different environment. I, I get bored in one place. I'm like, all right, time to go. Let's, let's go somewhere else. I have friends all over the world. Um, I, can, I can go visit people all over the world. I've literally, I've run into people I've met just randomly walking on the street that like just in different countries. You know, like I've done that like a dozens of times, just walking yeah. down the street because I've met so many people out about traveling. And that to me, it's life enriching to have those types of connections. Um, so I can to me, that's a value that I, I consider that to be a high priority value in my life. Um, I do consider paying tax too much tax. I consider 
to be against my moral values. I, I literally consider uh, paying income tax to be immoral. Um, I do find it actually immoral to pay tax. So for me, I do whatever I can do to minimize or eliminate an income tax payment. And because I place a high value on that, and I'm not saying you should or need to or whatever, right. but because of me, that also affects that I will, I, I move to a couple of different countries every year because it allows me to avoid becoming a tax resident right. in those countries. Now, that's not my only reason for doing that. It's I also enjoy, I, I enjoy, like this summer I'll probably spend, I'm guessing I'll probably spend a month in Italy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're shopping for maybe buying some property and building an off-the-grid house. I'm thinking about doing it in the countryside of Italy. I'll probably, you know, I may even just drive all the way to Italy or I may fly down and rent a car for a month or something and spend some time there. Um, and I may end up at some point buying a house or building a house in Italy and then, but I won't live there full time and I'll never live in Italy long enough to become a tax resident. Right. Um, now, is that only because of tax? No, that is one of my values and one of my driving factors to choose to, for, for the lifestyle that I choose. Um, but I also really enjoy Eastern Europe. I enjoy, you know, and especially my wife enjoys being on the beach, you mm -hmm. know, a part of the winter time. <clears throat> and for me, like speaking of trade-offs, we trade off some consistent routines in our life, right. which sometimes it's nice to have a consistent routine. You sure. get up at a certain time, you brush your teeth, you eat your breakfast, you, you do your job, you go for a run in there or go for a gym in the afternoon. You have that fixed routine. There is, there is some freedom in having that routine. And a trade-off for this type of lifestyle is – I have to have a different routine in each country I'm living in. Like, for example, in Eastern Europe, because in Latvia, we are um, seven hours ahead of U.S. East Coast time. And I like with my consultation clients, I still work on U.S. time zone. So my routine completely changes. Yeah. When I'm in the States, I go to the gym around four or five o'clock. When I'm in Europe, I go to the gym in the morning. Yep. For example, I just... Is that a trade-off? Because to me, it's not that big of a trade-off because it's a lifestyle choice that I choose that I have to create a different routine in a different location. But some people, you know, it depends. Like some people absolutely despise change. And if you despise change and, and demand a consistent routine day after day after day, and that's a high enough value for you, then maybe that trade-off is not worth it for you to have kind of a global lifestyle. Yeah. That makes sense. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, totally. The amount of money I save in tax, though, it buys a whole lot of plane tickets. Yeah. Well, and that's traveling. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, well, look, it's the experiences. It's the, you know, it's the disposable income that you're actually keeping in your pocket. It's the experiences you're having. And I think it's, it's something, look, we started out and, you know, in our kind of last 30 seconds here, I mean, I think, you know, we started out by saying, like, Look, Bobby, what is so intriguing to me about kind of the approach you've taken, Bobby, is, is th this is not for everybody. And you say that, you know, all the time. For sure. Is, Definitely but, not. But if this kind of mindset really resonates with you, I think what you're doing is you're really educating people that you there there are alternative ways to kind of go about your life than, you know, than maybe I think – you don't learn this stuff in school. You don't learn this stuff no. in regular society. You don't, you know, there's not even outside of guys like you and, you know, you know, admittedly are sort of viewed as like the, you know, the fringes, you don't, you don't hear this kind of approach. And I think that's, that's why it's just so important. And, and for me, it resonates where other people are going to listen to this and say, I, I don't get it. But, but I think it's just a really important thing for founders to, to say, as you start to accumulate options, as you start to accumulate wealth, just know that these options are available. That's right. That's right. It's it's yeah. an option. I mean, asset protection, which is how I started in this journey to begin with back 20-something-odd years ago. Asset protection, I don't care what your lifestyle is and what your mindset is. If you're a business owner, you've got to consider an asset protection strategy because if you've been in business and if you have any reasonable-sized business I mean, you, you've either been sued or you're going to be one right. way or the other. Like you're, you're going to have a lawsuit come your way if you haven't already. 
Um, okay, fine. If you're, you know, you run a lemonade stand, you're probably not getting sued. But if, if your business is doing seven, eight figure plus, I mean, you're going to end up in a lawsuit. So asset protection planning is is a mandate, in my opinion, for an entrepreneur, mandatory. But the lifestyle component of it, eh, do it, don't do it. It's up to you. Like a, a lot of people really enjoy this. It is a growing trend. I just spoke. Uh, actually, yeah. the reason I was in Brazil is there was a cruise, a conference cruise that went from Tenerife, Spain, uh, to Salvador, and it was a, a nine-day cruise, and I, I spoke on that cruise. And that entire cruise was location-independent entrepreneurs, uh, 400 people, 400 entrepreneurs, all location-independent. So, I mean, there's a growing trend for this. I spoke yeah. at an event last summer in Bulgaria. Uh, I think there was seven 700 people at yeah. that event. Um, I mean, it's, it's a growing trend. And like we discussed, COVID kind of exposed that ability to be location right. independent. Now, That's whether right. you choose it or not, like, so there, the, the term you've probably heard, a lot of people's heard is digital nomad. <laughs> yeah. And um, there is a wide range of digital nomads. Like there's on the extreme scale, there are, you know, like I, I have, uh, you know, a, a guy I know, a guy named Chris who, um, his his deal is he his goal is to visit every single country and and uh, geographical territory on earth you know and he's been to like 200 plus countries countries and territories to me that's the far extreme like you've got to like you're doing it just for the sake of doing it to, to right. travel just for the sake of traveling yep um and there's nothing wrong with that that's his goal that's what he wants to do he wants to tick that box that he's been to every place um and, you know, then a little bit farther in the scale are the people who go, like, maybe go live in Medellin, Colombia for a month or two, and then they go to Mexico City for a month or two, and then maybe they go live in no. Austin, Texas for a month, and then they go to Lisbon, Portugal for a month, and then they go to, you know, uh, um, Chiang Mai, Thailand or something for a month or two. You know, and there's there's those type of nomadic people, too. For me... I find that too frequent it, for me, like I'm fine changing up my routine sometimes um, yeah, and me. having a fixed routine, but I prefer to have like two or three places where I park mm -hmm. for extended periods yeah. of time because I, I mean, I do run a business with employees and all this stuff. And so I find it hard to be super productive if I'm constantly, if all I'm doing is constantly planning the next trip. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of no like, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. no routine. And then those people are kind of like, it's like they're on a perpetual vacation and they're constantly planning the next leg of the vacation. Right. Yeah. I think, and that lifestyle can work. In my opinion, yeah. that works for Good. like freelancers, uh, yeah. contractors, or people who run like solopreneur yeah. businesses. Just yeah. my opinion. Um, yep. Or retired, I, you know, right? Just or my, just, or retired. Right. Just yeah. Yeah. Yep. Or they sold so, it. I do know a couple of people that do that. They sold a company. They got a bag of money. Um, they, I know one guy who actually lives on cruise ships. Um, yep. He does. He does. Uh, he connects the dots around the world on cruise ships, literally. Yep. Um, and he'll just take a cruise, you know, from Spain to Brazil. And then he'll, maybe he'll spend a month in Brazil. And then he gets Brazil to the Caribbean. And then Caribbean to you know, across the Panama Canal over to like Mexico, Mexico to Japan or something like that. Um, and there's a range. I, I, I put myself on what I call the slow mad scale of the nomads. <laughs> um, I try to stay chunk, bigger chunks of time where I'm going. So to, to your point, it's not for everybody, but it doesn't, you don't have to range. fit in yeah. one box either. Yeah. Right. You don't have to be like the guy who has to visit every country on earth. You can also do like, hey, I'm I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I'd like to spend eight months a year out of Canada and four months a year in Canada. Great. Right. Go get a home in Mexico, go spend your four months a year in Canada and just go between two countries. You don't yeah. even have to travel at all. One plane yeah. ticket. Twice yep. a year, just like that. You know, yeah. so, I mean, that is also, you know, a, a, a different variation of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is super fascinating, Bobby. If you don't follow um, 
If you don't follow Bobby, where can they reach you today? Like where, where are you active? I know you've got a super active blog. It's the best place to, for people to, uh, to reach out, find out more about what you're doing with wealth protection or just <clears> follow <throat> you, uh, global wealth protection, or just follow your, your sort of your writings and, uh, and thinking or if this resonates with you. At the internationalization stuff and asset protection, the website is globalwealthprotection.com. And we, you know, you can subscribe to our free newsletter there. I mean, we do send out a fair bit of content, usually anywhere from one to three pieces of content per week on average. Um, I mean, we're everywhere. We're on Instagram, same global wealth protection, global wealth protection on Facebook. Um, that's, that's the, that side of the business. And then the other, the other business is uh, businessanywhere.io. Um, and we're just, well, I have three, I'm not going to mention the third one for, for privacy reasons, but, um, businessanywhere.io, we do U S company formations, virtual mailbox. We do tax planning. Um, we do notary bank account openings, all kinds of stuff like that. It's kind of a business owner's toolbox for registering and managing your back into your company. Um, and then we, there also, we have a blog, we've got, um, we're on Instagram. Actually, we're on TikTok on that one too, YouTube. Um, and then the other one, I do have a trusted corporate service company in the Caribbean, but I'm not going to mention the website because of legal reasons, we're limited on how we market a trust company. So I, yep. I can't, well, somebody I can't reaches mention out the trust you, company. Sure they, so. can, they can find out more if that's going to be relevant to them too. So yeah. uh, Bobby, this is awesome. Uh, great, to, uh, great to have you on. Uh, Super, I think, going to be eye-opening for a lot of people to kind of, you know, to, to really think yeah. about, just th think about kind of your life in a different way, right? And uh, yeah, so awesome that's to... the main thing, just to get people to think in a little bit, like, just like you said, maybe people are like, oh, that guy's ridiculous. That's just stupid. <laughs> but if one thing triggered, you're like, well, maybe I could go live half the year in Mexico or something like that, right? right? Yeah. Just one triggering thought to think that something is possible that maybe you didn't believe it's possible. Mm -hmm. you yeah, know? totally. Well, that's cool. Awesome to have you on, Bobby. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, if, uh, if you found this conversation interesting, please share it, subscribe to the channel. Uh, that you're listening to, and we'll see you next time on the uh, Founders Journey podcast.